the practice of Lent. Um, how's it going for everyone? No? I feel like some of you are like, you're leaning into the practice of Lent. I'm not. No. But, um, so it's very early days for, for Maharangi Vineyard and Lent. Um, it reminds me of a decade ago when, when I sort of started Advent. Um, and so, so I'm really, um, I'd, I'd encourage you to start somewhere in it. It is a really valuable practice that we'll, we'll be speaking about. Um, and so the main thing whenever you, you do anything new is start out small, uh, especially if you want to do something new and want it to become a lasting thing. You, it, actually, you want to do it for the long haul. It's great to start out small, to build up to it. Um, that's why over this series of Lent, um, from now until Easter, each Sunday for everyone that's going to be speaking, there are, um, we want to leave you with a little bit of a challenge, just a weekly challenge to kind of embrace the, um, the practices or, uh, of Lent itself so that we can, with an aim to build up into uh, a place where it is a 40 days um, season of prayer, of fasting, of of um, repentance and of turning. We've been using the language of, of Lent as a way of saying yes. So, so God might be inviting you to say yes to something. And for every yes we give, we know that we say no to maybe a whole bunch of other things. It's like when you put something in your calendar and you're saying yes to that, that means there's so those things, you're saying no to so many other things. And that's kind of a way to look at Lent. Um, and it really is such an appropriate setup for embracing all of the joy that is Easter, all that is coming. And you look absolutely overwhelmed with joy at the thought of Easter coming. So, so really, it is, about, it is about celebrating Easter. It's about an understanding that Jesus himself said yes to the pain of the cross, who said yes to the torture of the, all that the Roman Empire had for people in the day. He said yes to, to death and even death on a cross. It's the celebration of understanding that, that sin and death would be defeated in the most unlikely of victories. I always think of that when we sing a song like we did this morning about, about victory. Who would have ever looked at the cross and thought, that's a place of victory? That's a place where the world is going to be turned upside down. And maybe for some of us, that's actually a really great reminder that what can look so much like a terrible defeat in our perspective and in our way of looking at things is actually an incredible point of overcoming. So we started, um, but I'm kind of jumping ahead. So we started um, really our, our practice or our leaning into of, of Lent with looking at how we, how we look at our time and how we spend our time. And we had that challenge about 
about our phone usage and, and sort of trying to increase our time of silence and solitude with Jesus and decrease our time of being on our, on our devices. And then last week, Angela and I shared a little bit about, I guess the best way of describing it is kind of a bit of a family meeting. And if you weren't here, we'd love you to have a listen to it. I'm going to do a little bit of a recap, um, but really um, there's a lot of detail in that that we'd love for each person. If you consider Maharangi Vineyard your church family, have a, listen to, have a listen to that. If you don't, have a listen to it anyway and apply it to the church family that you are part of because it will, um, it will be great. We left you all, if you weren't here, we left everyone um, last week with a couple of invitations regarding um, how we invest our time and our money. And, and really those are open, open invitations. We, we would love, um, first of all, so I'm going to go over those real quickly, but we would love for, for us as Maharangi Vineyard, as a church family, to have a passionate, vibrant, large, diverse team that is part of running our, our kids' programs, our tribe, um, our creche. And one of the reasons why, which I spoke about, was that we don't want to burn people up. We don't want the same three people be, to be doing everything so that at the end of a, a term, at the end of a, of a year, they're absolutely burnt out and, and give up. The whole point, and, and we have that value, is because really all of the work and the mission of the church, we're all part of it. We all have a part to play. And when we all do that, we all go along for the journey. So that was the first invitation we had. Um, you're thinking, why will I listen to it again? Because you're just going to go over it. But hey, it takes a while to get, let things get in. The second thing we talked about was, was the giving of giving financially to Maharangi Vineyard and the way things were looking at the time. The desire is for us to continue to grow as a church, that we know, I hope we all know, that, that in order to fulfill the mission and the vision that God has for us, that there is money is required. It was, it was true in Jesus' day of mission, and it's true in our day today of, of mission. It just simply is one of those things. And we want to continue to grow. We want to continue to move forward. We want to hire a youth pastor. We want to find a permanent place um, to, call, um, to call a home. We want to have a place that our community can see and know that's Maharangi Vineyard. One, Physically, that's a place, but two, that's a place in as far as values go, where no matter who I am, they will welcome me. No matter what's going on in my life, I'll encounter someone who cares, and that is a place that I can encounter God. That's our hope. And so we, we talked a little bit about, about really the... Um, you know, the so sobering kind of place of, of at the moment or as it was last week, um, really the giving culture looks like 51% of Maharangi Vineyard give in some way. And I, and I define that as being from anywhere from a $3 AP, which covers milk. Does milk still cost $3? Probably more than that. Uh, 
I was just thinking, oh, remember you used to buy butter for $3? Like, that was the good old days, wasn't it? But I'm getting off track. Um, so giving, it's anywhere from $3 AP to help cover uh, out of the box up until the small percentage of people, families who give based on their family income. And that's everything in between. And so the invitation was that, that if you're in that place, that you take time that last week but the invitation is for this week as well, is you, you bring that, you bring that to God and you ask him, does that represent obedience today? And so again, I extend that to you. And then, and then the other way is that if you aren't, if you haven't already, um, if giving hasn't been part of your faith journey, is to start. And again, like I said with Lent, start, start small. It actually, it does not matter the amount. It is about having a, a conversation or an encounter with Jesus that, that involves your money and your possessions and bringing that to him. It really will make a difference. And I am so happy to say we have already seen people responding, which is so incredible, so encouraging. I, I love that about our church family. I love that those are, are the values that we live in, that money, that giving, that generosity, they are so important to what it is to be a follower of Jesus. And yet, too, they are incredibly complex um, subjects. They have such layers of meaning. Like if you actually think about it, why would God need our money? Like it doesn't, you know, if, if it actually were all about the money, why would he need it? Surely he could just make his own. So, so what I wanted to do, and with, with the fact, which has actually been, been kind of my practice all the way through, like I say, it's such a complex issue. It's, has, it's been so misinterpreted um, within the environment of church. We all know it, and, and many of us have the scars to prove it. It's, it's been so manipulated in so many ways. And for so many churches and so many church cultures, the temptation then is to swing to a place where we never talk about it. And it's avoided at all costs. When has avoiding something ever been a good choice? Do you know what I mean? Like when something's hard, all of you married couples in the room, when has that ever led to anywhere good? When there's something that's tough and the idea is let's just pretend it's not there. Do you know? And yet we're, we're so, it's so often we can, we can choose to do that. And that's what I don't want to do as a church family. So if you have your Bibles or a device with a Bible on it, you can pick that up. And let's go to Matthew chapter 4. And I want to take the rest of the time we have um, to really speak into that question of, so, so what is it about money that is so important? If it's not actually about the money, what is it? And so I'm going to read out of Matthew chapter 4. And it's so great because this is sort of... Um, 
really the framework of, of Lent itself. And so when I started our Lent series, it was talking, um, we, we all know that there's the profound couple of lines in Scripture that r- reveal that, that um, the Holy Spirit of God led the Son of God into the wilderness to be tempted. Just let that, as we, as we think about our own life and the way we respond to, to difficult times or times when we feel like um, we're being absolutely assaulted and how that might influence the way we might be tempted to think about God. But here is the Holy Spirit of God leading the Son of God into the wilderness. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil or the enemy of his soul. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. So that's where over time within the church tradition, um, where Lent has been, been sort of the practice has been the 40 days leading up into to Easter. During that time, the devil came and he said to him, if you really are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then the devil took him to, to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple. And he said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, again, the profound understanding that the enemy of our soul knows scripture better than most of us know today. And the incredible opportunity we all have and need to be really careful of taking scripture out of context. So here's, here's the enemy of our souls quoting scripture. He will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands. So you will not hurt even, he will not hurt your foot even on a stone. Jesus responded, scripture also says, you must not test the Lord your God. This is the point that I want to take, this last one. The devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all of the kingdoms of this earth and all of their glory. I think I'm, I'm okay to put in there all that money can buy, all the splendor of everything that's sparkly, everything that grips our, can grip our attention, all the things we never knew we needed and all of a sudden have to have, all of it. All of the kingdoms of this world, every new iPhone that's released, oh, that's getting tight to the heart. Do you know, like every every latest model of every beautiful car produced, all put before him. And he says to him, I will give you it all, the devil said, if you kneel down and you worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For scripture also says, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil went away and the angels came and took care of Jesus.
So why, why is money so important? I think, I think we see it in those last couple of verses. Is because there is no other God, small g, that, that woos us more than money and possessions. There, there is no temptation that is greater that, that desires us to give ourselves over to than money and possessions. The enemy of Jesus' soul is still the enemy of our soul. And his temptations are the same. I always, always remember we had a, 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 um, a youth pastor slash kids worker growing up, and they used to say, the devil is not very creative. Do you know, like the same things that, that, that he uses to tempt people are the same things we're, we're tempted with to today. And, and so it is. We are bombarded with invitations to worship and serve the God of money the God of power, the God of privilege, to give ourselves over to it. And so the why behind it, why we shared last week, why we continue to share today, why it's such an important part of of our faith journey is that the one of the only ways we can do what Jesus did and say no to the invitation of the enemy is to give. Is, is the very thing that wants to grab our hearts, we give away. It's an incredibly powerful act. It's why Jesus talked so much about money. I've, I've used this example, and, and, and I wanted to clarify, because I've probably done it wrong over the years, but, but Jesus, you hear that thing, how many people, are, like Jesus talked about money more than he talked about anything else? I know you've heard it. Well, you should have heard it, because I've said it. So that just means you haven't been lit. No. Um, and, and that is kind of true, but it's, uh, there's more to it. And actually, the more to it even speaks more of it. Jesus used money as, as symbols, as part of his parables, more than he's used anything else. Often, the money wasn't the point of the story. There's lots of examples of, like the coins, the woman who lost her coins and turned her house upside down. That's not actually about, don't lose your money. It's actually about something deeper. But what it points to is Jesus knew then, as today, that nothing grabs the heart of us as people more than money does. There are few things that grab our attention. Think of the story of the... um, of the vineyard workers, where you know some of them came in and they worked and they were paid a full day's wages, and then at the beginning of the day, and some came middle of the day, and some came end of the day, and they were all paid the same thing. That's not about fair equity in wages, although I think Jesus would be just as happy with that. That's not what that story was about. But there is something about, about the injustice of that that grabs us because money means something to us. And Jesus knew that, and he knew that then, and it was true then, and it's true today. It's a powerful part of the stories that he told. You know, if, 
If we are going to take serious the invitation to come and follow me, our relationship with money and giving and generosity have to be part of that decision. The great thing is God is faithful and kind and his invitation to us is over and over and over again. And so what I wanted to do in the little bit of time, well, not a little time, in the time we have left, is I wanted to invite Niall to come up. And Niall's going to share a bit of, of his story and I guess their story, Niall and Grace. Um, there's a mic there. And why I want to do that is how amazing would it be having for those of us who know so often this subject of money and giving can be really, really distorted within the context of church. But how amazing would it be if little old Maharangi Vineyard becomes a place that actually we can talk about it, we can, we can journey together with one another without manipulating one another, without controlling, without um, ulterior motives, but it be like any other part of what it is to follow Jesus, that we're open and honest with one, with one another, that we're authentic with our stories of great successes and terrible failures, and the fact that God is faithful to us in all of it. I'm slightly excited about that. You know, like, what an amazing place. Wouldn't that be a great value that we could outwork and live. Now, why don't you share a bit of your story? Brilliant. So um, I'm going to kick off with uh, kind of, I guess, my idea on what I believe tithing represents. <coughs> represents. Uh, so partnership is our privilege, uh, is the the heading there. Um, and over there at Dennis Courts at the moment, um, the youth are talking about this idea of partnership as our privilege. So when it reflects in that in tithing, we financially partner together as a church to contribute towards the fulfillment of God's plan in and through the church. So my journey of coming to a place of being someone that, uh, being someone and being a family that tithes, uh, starts off when I was about 17. Uh, that was about the age that I became a Christian or decided to dedicate my life to to God. Uh, and some of you know my story, but uh, growing up, uh, I had Christian grandparents, uh, a family that I was adopted into. Um, my parents themselves were on a journey, um, but they were my grandparents were the only real um, people that I felt loved by uh, growing up. And so that inspired me. You know, there was something about them that just inspired me. I didn't know what it was. And you know, we look now, and clearly it was the Spirit of God, but I didn't articulate that. And so when I saw my dad radically changed, you know, I, I decided to, you know, that I, I, wanted, I wanted to be a part of this journey. I wanted to be part of, of, this, of this story that, um, that my grandparents are a part of. And so when I was 17, I came up here and, and um, uh, started at Lifeway Bible College and, and gave my life to the Lord. Uh, and I remember distinctly when I was one time when I was 17, my father and I were driving to church, and he asked me, he goes, "What, Noah? What do you what do you think of the church?" And hand on heart, my response was, "I think the church is useless. I think it's powerless. 
and I think I don't think we need it. That was that was my response as a 17-year-old, new to this thing, not I guess not believing in, in what the church represented. And so here I am now, um, a part of the leadership uh, team at and church, and and yes, my view has changed. Uh, by the oh, way, oh good, oh shoot. <laughs> And so, but the journey. I was meaning authentic, but not that authentic. Yeah, yeah, shoot. No, no, this is the real story, man. Here we go. So the journey of, of coming from a 17-year-old kid that clearly knew everything um, at that time uh, to where I am now uh, is, you know, obviously, praise God, right? Um, what, I had, what I had found is that as a young Christian, I was in love with Jesus. I was in love with this person called Jesus Christ. I was in love with this person that had um, uh, that that was living through my grandparents to to reach out to me. I was in love with this person that saved my dad. But what I didn't understand was the correlation between Jesus and and the church itself. And so, through uh, there's actually two scriptures that I want to share that that really impacted me. Uh, but what I began to fall in love with was the church, you know, the Jesus, the sort of unseen, I guess, um, spirit of God, and then the church, which is kind of the, the seeable, tangible um, aspect uh, that is supposed to reflect the person of Jesus Christ. That is what I began to fall in love with. And so what the 17-year-old me didn't understand was that it's not about a church. It's not about a denomination. It's not about a pastor. It's not about a message. Mm. It's not about a building. It's not about um, whether your church is big or small. It's about the symbol of what the church collectively represents. And the church, as I began to found out as a young Christian, is the bride of Christ. And so as the bride of Christ, this interesting thought that technically, legally, the bride of Christ is the next of kin to Jesus. If you think about when you write on your uh, emergency list, who's your next of kin, you put your, put your partner in if you're, if you're married. And so I began to fall in love with this idea of what church represented. And as a marriage, as we all know, albeit not always easy, but it's important to invest into it, for it to flourish and grow and develop. And so the, the two uh, scriptures that really stood out to me that, that sort of began to turn my thoughts on church upside down, um, the first one's from Malachi. Now, it is a bit of a brutal scripture, so just bear with me, but, um, but it, did, it, was, it was a part of my journey, so that's the disclaimer. This is, this is what it means to me. But it's from Malachi 3. It says, Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you'll ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rub from God? Yet you rob from me. But you'll ask, how are we rubbing from you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that it cannot be that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and vines from in your fields, will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land. Now, when I had read that, what impacted me, I guess the principle for that is that the absence of my investment impacts the outcome in my life and in others. 
The importance of recognizing God's sovereignty in the tithe and offering allowed the whole priestly system of, of the tribes in the Old Testament to function. The Levites didn't get their own portion of land. Their portion, their prized possession was God himself. But the tithes and offerings were the material aspects that allowed the, the Levites to function as a nation, uh, as a tribe. And so if we look at what that represents for us today, the Levites, us being the church, the priestly system functions on the tithes and offerings that we collectively provide. Now some churches obviously have other businesses and forms of income in there, but largely the tithes and offerings is, is where, where that is generated from. So that was one sort of uh, aspect of my journey that I had that I learned and grabbed, grabbed a hold of. The second one comes from Mark 12. It says, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything all that she had to live on. And I think this is a beautiful picture mm. coming into Lyndon's sort of uh, comment around, like, is it truly about the money? You know, this scripture here talks about the, the act of generosity, mm. the trust in God's provision. And Christ's response demonstrate his feelings towards generosity. What's also interesting is that Jesus took time to sit and watch people putting money into the treasury, their tithes and offerings. And I think that is so beautiful because what it represents is that God really cares. Mm. God truly cares about the generosity of your heart and what you're putting into the treasury. So the second principle that comes from that for me is tithing in faith makes a difference. So I have six sort of thoughts that I'll end with here. Um, these are thoughts uh, that I've sort of articulated over the, over the years um, of, uh, of being someone uh, that loves Christ, being someone that um, has been committed to church, uh, being someone that, um, that does tithe. Um, these sort of six things have sort of formed over those years. So the first one, and my, I guess my hope is that you can capture this as well, and some of these you may be like, yeah, I agree with that, and others may be a bit of a journey for you. But the first one is, God gave us his greatest and most prized position, Jesus. At no cost to us other than our yes. Hmm. Number two, we need to believe in what tithing represents. Believe in what God is doing through the church because if we don't believe and we don't action our belief, then it will be powerless. If we look at Matthew 13, um, verse 58, it talks about how Jesus performed little to no miracles in his own hometown because they did not believe. Now, God, you know, when, when you sort of read that scripture, God is not some absorbent entity that you know, we have to like sort of blast our faith towards him for him to perform miracles. So it's not that he wasn't powerless. It would be exciting if it was. Yeah. So it wasn't that he was powerless. But what happened was that the people didn't have an open heart. Hmm. They didn't come to the table. They didn't invite Jesus into their situation because they did not believe. Number three, remember the vine. We are the branches. We cannot bear fruit without the vine. But conversely, the vine cannot produce fruit without the branches. 
And what's so interesting about that is that God chooses to meet us. God chooses to work through us. But if there is little to no fruit, then how can we impact the community that we live in? I've said this Proverbs many times before, and I'll keep saying it again and again. But in Proverbs 21 31, a man prepares for the battle, but the Lord brings the victory. Unless we have done all that we can with what we have, working in the realm of the possible, then how can we rely on God to work in, in the impossible? We all have a duty, we all have a responsibility uh, f- you know, that we can each play in. And that could be time, that could be resources, and that could be finances. Number five, if tithing is a, is a new journey for you, start small. 10% isn't some holy number that unlocks a secret pathway into heaven, but the tithing what? itself. <laughs> Revelation, that, but yeah, the tithing yeah, itself yeah. is a powerful a response that when we give of our best, mm. that God will breathe life into it for his purposes. Mm. Psalm 16 verse 2 and James 1 verse 17 says that all good and perfect things come from God. Mm. And number six, by returning to God a portion of my income, I recognize God's ownership over all that I have. Mm. Partnership is our privilege. We financially partner together as a church to contribute towards the fulfillment of God's plan in and through the church. I am grateful to be here journeying through this with you all. And everyone in this room is here for such a time as this, Mm. for this very season, for this very generation, for this very time that we live in. So let's make the most of it today. Amen. Thanks, Noam. So I hope what you hear is the invitation of God for relationship. That's what he wants. Like that's why the temptation to, of Jesus in the wilderness was so great is, is actually it's choosing a counterfeit. It's choosing, it's choosing to attribute your love, your adoration, your putting your hope and your trust into something that's a terrible, terrible counterfeit. So why don't we stand? Jesus, we thank you so much for, again, your invitation for, for us to follow you. God, I pray this week as we, as we go forward, as we continue to say um, yes to you, as we continue to embrace the season of Lent, I ask God that you would continue to meet with us. Father, as we consider our relationship with with um, with money, with possessions, with all that it has the the um, possibility of representing in our life, God, I ask that you would meet us in those places. And where each of us or some of us might need to turn like that prodigal son who found themselves like, 
how did I end up here? You know, how did I end up in such a mess? How did I, how did I give, give something as precious as my hope to, to money when it belongs to you, God? I ask that you, we would encounter you like the father in that story who is so glad to see us turn, who runs to meet us, who, to, who embraces us in, in all that we are and restores us to all that we were intended to be. I pray that that would be our experience this week. I pray that that would be our experience throughout this lifetime journey of following you, Jesus. And that we would know you to be the God that we can trust. And we would know you to be the God, the the only God who is worthy of our worship, who is worthy of our adoration, who is worthy of our faith and our hope. In Jesus' name. Amen.